Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2 and reading verses 1 to 13. And I'm reading it from the English Standard Version, anglicised. The coming of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Morning. Morning. Good. Can you hear me? Yes. Right, good, good, good. Yeah, one or two hiccups probably through my ignorance in the first service. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, always assume you know everyone out front, but you don't always. Um, name's Nigel, married to, married to Mary. Um, and uh, we've lived in Peterborough four and a half years, and we've been members of the church for four years. And... Um, uh, this got blotted out in the first bit, so I had to repeat it. We actually love living in Peterborough, all right? I'm sorry to shock you, but we have met so many people who think we're mad to have moved from Torbay to Peterborough. But if you've lived in Ipswich, perhaps you'd understand why I love Peterborough. <laughs> I didn't say that in the first one, anyway. <laughs> Seriously, and I loved Ipswich as well. Uh, for those of you here last week, you think, why are we doing Acts 2 again? Do, do they think we don't get it? What are the leaders up to? Just so you understand, um, what, what has happened is that um, Dave Morton was asked by the church leaders to organise the preaching programme, and um, we were given sections, and this was done way before Brian came. So you'll come, this is, you can stay away the next three weeks if you like, the, the leaders will assume, no, no, I'm joking, but we're, t- we're touching, he, Brian touched on about three weeks, but I say touched uh, and, uh, on it, so I think you'll be getting a different perspective. The other thing is this, I say the obvious, not to come across as super spiritual, but uh, I've been a Christian 56 years, and uh, I'm still learning, I don't know about you, sometimes I think I've just begun, but 
but, but, but actually, uh, when I read the word, and I like this particular, the new translation, it's not that new, but, but you, know, when you, look, you look at the, the Bible, read it again, I find passage I've read time and time again, actually, you know, something just hits you between the eyes. And it might even just be a physical action in a, in a parable, something like that. And I trust and pray that as we look at this subject again this morning, that actually uh, something fresh will come across to you. Can I also say this, um, that I had the thoughts I'm sharing this morning, and I now know from the first service, I won't go through everything, but the major thoughts I had, actually I'd had before Brian preached last week, and that there isn't an overlap, it's slight but not much. Um, so I'm looking at it differently. Um, because with such a passage, would to be quiet, there's so much, there's so many directions you could go in. You could do a series on, on this. I became a Christian from a non-church background when I was 17, um, and when I started hearing about the Holy Spirit stuff and, and uh, about speaking in tongues and things like that, I don't mind admitting you, it freaked me out. Um, when I was about 20, 21, um, some of us, there was a good group of us guys together in this church, and girls, but the guys in particular, uh, one guy belonged uh, to a Pentecostal church in Barry Stemmons, which I think still exists. And uh, we were hearing about this gift of speaking in tongues. And, and I have to say, it was put across then that, you know, if you hadn't spoken in tongues, you hadn't got the Holy Spirit. That was the approach that was being taken in those days, and some still take that approach today. And so there was confusion. Uh, I was converted through the work of Boy Covenanders, which was connected to a Brethren Church. I was a little boy around the corner who lived in the prefabs and had gone to Sunday school and, uh, and threw the whole lot into my teens. And uh, as I said this morning, I have to thank, it was a very open Brethren, West Road Hall as it was, it's West Road Church today in various Stemmons. I have to thank them for the Bible teaching I received before I was a Christian. I just thank God for the Mr. Sweets and the Mr. Cattens and people like that who taught me. I'm so grateful for that. Um, and I was so grateful that the elders of the church, of that church, didn't sit on the backside and just pray for us. They met with us older ones and started to explain the Holy Spirit to us. Um, and uh, that, was, that was helpful. I wouldn't necessarily agree with everything we received then. But, but I was so grateful that they did that. Those of you my age, 21, no, uh, uh, plus 52, that actually, that, that actually we've lived through a charismatic movement. And actually we saw some of the leaders, the likes of Roger Forster and Gerald Coates, actually came from the Open Brethren. So we've seen lots of things happen. I was, for 30 years, used to uh, go to a, uh, a, the Evangelist Conference. It was underwritten by the Evangelical Alliance. And, um, and I was on the committee for nine years. You'll see why I'm saying that later on. And I can remember being at the evangelist conference, and I thought, what is going on? And the guy sat there all wrapped up in chains. And I don't mean nice little ones, heavy ones, because uh, he thought the spirit was telling him that. I've been in a meeting where someone went by my head and I turned around, and the guy was waving a wooden sword around. I've heard people laughing, coughing, screaming, making movements. Uh, I've been in various places. We visited, and I might refer to it, the Toronto Church, Airport Church in, in, in Canada. And so I've seen different things happen, and my add, I'm still learning about the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and so you, some of you have gone through all that sort of stuff, and 
Uh, I sometimes think we overcomplicate it. And um, this morning, those of you who are theologians will think at the end that this is quite basic and simple. I'm speaking to Nigel Taylor every time I preach. I find sometimes, I can argue the debates on different things, but sometimes I get the basics wrong and I need to relearn the basics. We were challenged last week about love. How many of us could actually say we've got that one sussed? Really, be honest. You know, so we're relearning the basics and yet love is actually the basic of Christianity. We've just sung about it and we'll commemorate it later. But to put that into practice, that might be basic, oh boy, is that hard. So we're, we're relearning all the time. I have to be careful. Mary's here today. I'm, I think I'm only referring to her once. I've got permission. I didn't get it written in triplicate and in blood, but I've got permission. But, but when, I hadn't been in Christian work long, full time. And I worked for a thing called County's Evangelistic Work. And I used to do stuff around <laughs> Suffolk. I ran a youth club for 10 years around church, children's club. I'm only saying I went into schools, I won't bore you. I was full on. I was wonderful. You know, I was the super Christian of Suffolk. <laughs> Phenomenal I was. I was so wonderful. I'm being cynical, by the way. And I was working so hard because I was in the Lord's work. Who needed a break, you know? Monday was my day off. And of course, this particular Monday, I'd done something, I think, in a local school in the morning. And I got to lunchtime. I'd had my lunch and I went into the bathroom and I went to wash my hands. And the next thing I knew was I woke up in hospital. Because what happened was I fainted. And what I forgot to tell you, I'd come in that morning at one o'clock in the morning. That's something that I'd, I'd been doing in the Christian work. So I was tired, and my body was spacey, saying, okay, Taylor, you think you're wonderful? <laughs> you know, bang, and I went out. On the way down, I had a discussion with the radiator that was, uh, I was here. <laughs> Fortunately for me, and, I don't, and I'm not hammering this up, I don't think I'd be here if I'd have hit the top, because it was one of these with, you know, I don't know. But I hit the side of it. I obviously knocked myself out. Uh, Mary was excited about it, because she was having her hair done at the time in another room, so she was really excited. Um, but I, when I woke up, I was on a trolley in a, in a lift in, in the hospital. And Mary was with me and her friend Daphne. And I looked at Mary and I just said, you look like an angel. And I said, I don't want to go to heaven yet. Whew, she wasn't an angel. By the way. Oh, she is, but you know what I mean. This is where I've got to be careful. She looked like an angel. I was sort of half concussed and all the rest of it. For those of you who really know me, you know I suffer, and I have done all the time being in this church with tinnitus. And in this area in particular, right now, and the reason I'm talking about it now, I can hear it right now, I've got a ringing and a hissing. And people ask you to describe it, and I say it's like a hissing. It's like a ringing. I can't be specific about it. And I've got a little bit in this. And to be afterwards in coffee time when there's a whole loads of noise going around, anywhere like that, I have to really concentrate. So if I'm looking earnestly at you, don't freak out. That's all right. I'm just trying to hear you because uh, the, the tinnitus messes up my hearing. Why am I saying this? What did we read? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly they came from heaven. Notice where it came from. It was divine. It was of God. A sound. Notice this. Like. Like a mighty rushing wind, like a hissing, like a ringing. And it filled the whole house when they were sitting, 
and divided tongues as of, or we could say, we could actually say in the Greek, like, as of fire appeared to them and rested on them. Looked like an angel. Couldn't quite define it. You say, why are you making a point like this? I find it interesting. Acts the Apostles was written by Luke. Luke wrote the Gospels. Luke, we're told later in the New Testament, was a doctor. Now, doctors have changed a bit, I presume, I reckon. But if you went to the doctor today and he started being vague with you, you'd get worried. A doctor, I'd imagine, and I might be reading too much into it, I'd imagine you hope he's going to be precise, factual, he's certainly going to listen to you, he's not going to mess around. Remember, these words, like and as, were written by a precise doctor, and he couldn't describe fully what he heard and saw. And actually, all the Bible says, and you think about some of the sermons you've heard, the sound was like a rushing wind. It doesn't talk about a rushing wind. It was like, the sound was, it was the sound. And so here he is trying to describe the coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples. This experience, I think, is incredible. Just a side issue here, but I think it's relevant. This happened to them all when they were together. It's what I call a corporate experience. Nobody was left out. It's a personal experience. We've read that. It rests on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there was that corporate thing. They were together, and, that was, uh, and there was a personal thing. It wasn't just a corporate experience. They all had the same, well say they all had the same experience, but they had their own experience uh, of God, the Holy Spirit, as well. And some of you know, and I don't want to go down this road much, but some of you know, if you look at the subject of wind in the Bible, particularly Ezekiel 37 and the Valley of Dry Bones, you'll know the association of wind with the Holy Spirit. There's other places as well. You'll know also that the fire often is a picture, it can be a picture of God's holiness, but it's a picture of God's presence. Moses met God, he was in the fire of a bush. A tower of fire, a pillar of fire, led the children of Israel through the wilderness at night time. So these, I say this because this would have meant a lot to those who are listening. Remember this, this came, and I didn't say this in the first service, this actually came to um, the Jews. Okay? And why am I saying all this? Particularly the fact that it was hard to describe. Let me just pause here. Last week I found something um, interesting. Peace, Amy's daughter, came out. And I held a glass of water about here. And Brian poured water into it to talk about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And, and also he put some, I don't know what it was, black ink or whatever, and he talked about, he kept pouring fresh water in to get rid of the blackness that describes our failures, our sins. And there came a point where the water actually overflowed the glass and went onto the hand of peace. He apologised, he's a gentleman. Uh, he he apologised to peace, but what did peace say? It's refreshing. I was sitting over there. That just hit me. And can I say with assurance that we may not understand fully always what God's doing. It might look like a tongue of fire. It might sound like rushing wind. Uh, let it not freak us out. 
Let's not be worried, because I believe, well, in my experience, and I, certainly I'm still learning, but in 56 years, I've found when I meet up with God personally, and that's through the Holy Spirit, because Jesus dwells in me through the Holy Spirit, and in Acts you'll know that the Holy Spirit is called in a couple of places the Spirit of Jesus. Do you know I've never got hurt by God? Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, I've never been hurt by the Holy Spirit while in my life. It's been refreshing. And you often find that people, and you've met people, and I'm digressing a bit, but I, I just sense it's relevant to someone here this morning, and you've been through incredible hurt, you've been through incredible times of questioning, and you haven't got a clue what's going on, but you felt refreshed in it, and you perhaps have even felt guilty because you felt refreshed, because you should be a mess, but you're refreshed because that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You might put it another way, meeting with God. I don't mind what language you use. I don't think the Bible worries about what language you use, as long as it's polite. But you know what I'm saying. And we like the, the, this passage here. We like, as Christians, to have it neat and tidy. I wondered if we could get all the books written, written on the work of the Holy Spirit and put them on this platform. I wonder how much the platform would be free. Quite a sneaky suspicion there wouldn't be any gaps. And we try and dissect it all up and have God all sussed out and, uh, and know everything about God. I find that impossible. When I think that I've actually got God worked out, that actually he just blows my mind. And I could, I'm not going to, I could give a personal example of that in my own walk with him and, and the ministry I've been, been involved with. You know, he just changes the rules. An example I gave in the first church, it always makes me laugh. Uh, but recently, um, we went to visit our friend with motor neuron disease down in Worthing. Well, he's in Rustington in Worthing. And, and, uh, but this time, we took a few days holiday and we got an Airbnb. And at Soul Survivor, I'd actually been on a stand for crops. I'd re-met someone I knew in, in Ipswich days. And uh, Andy, I discovered that Andy lived in Rustington, the same place as my friend. So we ended up having a meal with them. And we got talking about the evangelist conference because he used to come. And he, he ended up uh, going as a young lad, actually, from Ipswich days to join Salt Mine. And he's been involved in Christian ministry uh, since. And uh, he laughed about an evening we had at the evangelist conference. Because his friend Leon was actually, I think it was Leon Evans, was playing the keyboard uh, during the response time. And I'll come to that in a moment. Uh, and, and Leon hadn't had his tea and we'd had the session, having the response time and he called Andy over and, and Andy's, Andy's a great keyboard player and he said, would you take over because I need to go and get some food. I'll come back. Actually, he never came back. You'll see why I'm saying that in a moment. Um, but uh, Andy played and that's why he was laughing. The response time was this. Ed Savoso, who you may not have heard of him, but he wrote a book several years ago called Cities of God. And... We were talking about how God moved through ministers, church leaders getting together in prayer, real open prayer, beyond denominations in cities, and he'd seen God move uh, throughout the, the world. And so he'd written a book on it, and he was our guest speaker. Tuesday night at the Evangelist Conference, traditionally had always been response time. And, uh, and so he said, he met with us committee, and he said, this is what I'd like to do. 
I'd like to do the funnel. I'd like you guys from the committee and those women as well to come out the front and stand in two lines. We'll get some older members from the, from the audience to come as well. And I'm going to ask the, the people who are at the evangelist conference at the end to respond to actually to walk through this two lines of people. And so if there was a line here and a line there, they come along and I want you to pray for them. And that's how he shared it with us. So we get to the response time. I think we'd start about sort of half past eight. The response time started at half past nine. And normally we were going for cocoa at 10 o'clock. Uh, or some people who hadn't had enough food would go down and get a curry and swanick. But anyway. So anyway, the response time comes. Ed shares with the conference. He'd like everybody, but he didn't force people to walk through so that they get prayed for. At the conference, I think it was, we were pushing 400 people that year. So the people start, they start walking through and they get to the first two and uh, that two pray for them. Then they move on to the next two and they pray for them. The next two pray for them. It goes on like this. And my friend Andy has taken over the keyboards by now and he finished playing the keyboards at half past one in the morning. <laughs> Ed Savoso the next morning said, that's not what I meant. <laughs> What he meant was that the two lines stood there and people didn't come here and were prayed for by this two, then prayed for the next. They just continued walking. And as they walked by, under the leading of the Spirit, you just prayed for them as they carried on walking. That would have got through, I reckon, estimate, you'd have got through 400 if they'd have walked like this. You'd probably done a quarter of an hour and we'd have got a cocoa at 10 o'clock. We didn't get cocoa at all. We went straight to bed at half past one in the morning. I tell you what... We all felt God in that room. I don't mind admitting, when it, we then went, is inverted the word? I might have got that wrong. We turned in and we went down ourselves, the line, and we got prayed for. I ended in tears. And it was a real special time. And as we're good at Christians, there were Christians at the conference came up to committee the next day. We've got to ring up Christianity today. We've got to this, we've got to tell EA, we've got to tell the world that, you know, there's revival in Great Britain. Fortunately, actually, we didn't let that happen. But, but, but actually, you know, that was a special time. But you see, God turned up in a way that none of us had planned for, not even Ed Silvosa. And that, I might say, he'd seen God move quite a lot in special ways in the world. God just blows the rule book out the window. And sometimes we can organise it, and actually, he almost disorganises it. Um... On another level, um, <laughs> earlier this year I was very privileged to take the uh, two services at the Cram and uh, a Thanksgiving one for a friend called Ivan. Uh, and, uh, and when we did the Thanksgiving <laughs> service, it was in Felixstowe, uh, and there about, again there was over 300 people there, and, and uh, it was lovely for Mary and myself because we met friends from our Ipswich days who we hadn't seen for years. <laughs> And the guy who taught our son to play drums, Paul, came up to me and uh, I, we'd heard bits and pieces about, about, um, about Paul and we knew that his first wife had died through illness and, and, and we'd, I'd also heard a bit about this. He had a brain tumour and he had all the treatment. He went and, and I think he was given a time when he was going to die. But he got people to pray as people prayed as they do for all these things. And uh, he went, he just carried on, Paul's quite a, although being a drummer, I know drummers are mad, I mean drummers are nice, 
but but you know what I'm saying. He was a quiet, quiet, quiet guy, and and uh, uh, a lovely guy. He's a lovely man. And uh, Paul um, just went through with the treatment. He believed in doctors. He believed God could use medicine. All these things. And there came a, a day when they gave him gave him another scan. The trouble was they couldn't find a tumor. And he's still standing here today, alive. Now, I know, this isn't a message on healing, <laughs> um, but actually, you know, it's a big subject. But we know it doesn't happen like that all the time. And some of us, ourselves included, could give witness of that sort of thing. That not happening when you pray for things, it doesn't always happen. We're in God's hands, and, and he does love us all. But you see, you can't explain that. And actually, the doctor said to Paul, we can't explain it. I winced just recently because I flicked the channels over and uh, I, I caught a part of a, 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 a one of these sort of a live the Apollo things. I don't think it was, I'm not going to give the name of the comedian because I'm not here to, to put people down by name. But actually it, it made me sad. This particular comedian really went cynically out of the way to make a joke at a virgin birth. Really cynically. And it hurt me. And I wanted to listen it through to see what line he was taking. He comes across from TV as a nice guy. See, he didn't believe that God could move and bring Jesus to save in the world through a virgin birth. Now I know I'm really going to go down the tubes now, but you know, last night after we'd been to, to a celebration for people who'd been married 50 years, that, that actually um, we came home and, and Mary and I had recorded a program, I know you don't watch it, but called Strictly Come Dancing. And I know none of you would stoop that low. I realise that. So perhaps you'll start to pray for, for Mary and myself. But actually, if you did watch it, if you really thought, well, I'll try and be late to Nigel at church, so I'll watch it. That, that actually, you know, what did Craig Revel Horwood, who is a judge in the program, and he's got this stern. Um, approach and, he, yeah, and they all boo him and all that stuff but he said at one point after a couple he said God moves in a mysterious way how true he was and is and I think sometimes we will trot that hackneyed phrase out even as Christians do we believe it or do we try and get beyond looks like tongues of fire looks sounds like wind we know better we even quote verses back to God. And we know better. Can I just say, if you want to pray for me and for my wife, I hope I will never limit God. He may operate sometimes outside my intellectual thinking. It's important, I believe, that we keep open minds. Because actually there are sometimes we think God can only do this and like when I was that teenager, if I, I only, I've got to speak in tongues to prove I've got the Holy Spirit. You can still go to meetings like that. I've got to, you know, I won't get healed unless I do this, that and the other. Be careful. At Soul Survivor, I used to go, go back each night before I went on the stand. I'd go home for tea after the afternoon session and go back and try and hear to preach. And I caught some of the worship, uh, which was, was tremendous. Um, and uh, on one of the tables in the overflow bit I went to, there was a youth work magazine. They put lots of things in there about how God had worked in Soul Survivor over the years. And I had to, I actually typed this out on my phone and took this home, so I'm reading it. 
And it was called Taking the Spirit Home. So think of the thinking of this person who wrote this. I went home after my first year at Soul Survivor and literally every night afterwards for at least three months, what commitment, hey? I would pray for an experience of the Spirit before I went to sleep. I would wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I missed it again. About three months into the ritual, a friend who wasn't a Christian said, there's something different about you. All I could think was that the Spirit had been at work bringing out this new character in me. Previously, I'd been an angry troublemaker, but God was developing his fruit in my life. Whoa. In her head, she was experienced, she got to have a certain experience to prove that she got the Holy Spirit, but she was so open to God. Whoa, praying every night for three months. Whoa. Commitment. She was wanting God to meet her, and all the time he was meeting her and working in her, and she hadn't got a clue. And we put so much, even in churches, about what happens as a result of. But the power there was this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. That is far more important. And some of you have heard me say this before. This world needs you and I as Christians. If we claim massive experience of the Holy Spirit, I tell you who will know, far better than anybody in this building perhaps, is our neighbours. Because they'll see somebody who's not over the top, not patronising, but is a bit different. Not because we're holier than now and we put them right every time they swear and use the F word, stuff like that. No, 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 that's not fruits of the Spirit. Well, not in my book anyway. But living it, being different. And you can only be different in some of the situations of this world because the Holy Spirit is in you. Isn't that far more important? Isn't that a big enough evidence? I believe in the gifts of the Spirit with all my heart. I believe I have one or two. And I think it's important. And if you look at the Acts of the Apostles, I didn't say this in the first bit, this is where it's dangerous with me, but, but actually, the, actually what, why did the Holy Spirit come? What was, what was the net result? Why? Well, yes, it was a personal experience, but why the personal experience? Why that these disciples, why could Peter stand up in the power of the Spirit and preach a sermon where 3,000 people became Christians? Why, why, why? So that God and Jesus could be glorified. That is the aim. But you hear some books, you read some books, you think the Holy Spirit was just to come and bless us all up. If we stop there, we've missed the biblical picture. We're there to glorify Jesus, not Nigel Taylor. And I think that's relevant to our church. We've appointed a new pastor. If we really believe that you know, he's the only one with the Holy Spirit and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, boy, he's going to have a nervous breakdown within six months. <laughs> and there are people in this church doing far too... Ooh. This isn't in my notes, and I didn't say in the first service, but there are probably people in this church who are working far too hard because other gifts have not been released. And that's a challenge to our leadership. 
and the gifts go beyond some of the things. We need the whole lot to be practised. But why did Jesus do it? So that we could say, and I think I can get away with this, John, that John is a, a fantastic worship leader. I happen to think that he is. But I know, because I've heard him say, and he's going to tell me off after this, that actually he does it because he wants to glorify Jesus. And if we've got gifts, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, whatever experience we've had. Why does Rachel, Rachel Jessup go into primary schools? Because she wants to be known as Rachel Jessup, the greatest primary school's worker in the whole world. <laughs> well, she may well. <laughs> but she wants people to meet Jesus and Jesus to be glorified. I'm getting emotional. I didn't preach this. The band will tell you in the first service, but I feel it so strongly. And we miss it out. And the danger is, that if I could say this, and this is truly now, as I, if we think we're just going to be put right because Brian's coming, friends will be discussing Brian and his failures in about a year's time because we expect him to do it all. That is not biblical. This church is meant to glorify. If we really believe each one in this church is going to God every day, and like Ephesians 5.18, saying, fill me, because that means keep on being filled, like that glass last week. We really believe that with all our hearts, the proof will be that this church, the whole church, not just the pastor, not just Marion, not just the youth worker, not, I could go through the lot, sorry if I missed you out, but actually we are all together glorifying, and we're together glorifying Jesus. That is the aim. If you look at the gifts, you say, Nigel, that's to build up the church. Yeah, quite agree, but what for? To glorify Jesus, to expand the church. We talk about the kingdom coming. Yeah, the kingdom's already here, and you and me. We talk about it growing through the Holy Spirit. Yes. But it's to glorify Jesus and God the Father. And I personally have been in, I'm not talking this church unless it fits. I've been in situations where I wonder. I've been in meetings and I've been in all different flavours of meetings. That, you know, whatever the label on the door. And I come out thinking, was I really glorifying Jesus or the speaker out the front or that team over the front or that? If you're blessed to be on, this, on the prayer ministry, you're no different than the person who actually makes the coffee, if that's within the gifting of God. But we act in the, in the Christian church sometimes as if the preacher at the front is far better than Mark the caretaker. They're not. In God's eyes, we're both the same. And probably Mark's better than me because he probably does a better clean-up job. But you know what I'm saying. Forgive the humour. But, you know, I'm being serious here because I really think when you analyse this, as some of our attitudes, and I will say conversations I've heard and hear, I do wonder what we believe about the gifts of the Spirit and what it's for. It's not to glorify me or members, it's to glorify Jesus. And we want this church to really affect this area. Friends, with all due respect, <laughs> it's going to reach the people we meet in Tysdale, coffee break, you know, every Tuesday morning with SJ, I tell you what, they're going to need to see Jesus in me, and they're going to need, if they come to this church, and Jesus in this church, and they won't if we're not pulling together and giving him the glory and letting the spirit work through us. That wasn't there. Do we limit the Holy Spirit? I'll end with this. What's the solution? 
these disciples were being obedient. In, in Acts 1, we read that actually Jesus ordered them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And they received this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. We know Jesus had promised that. He promised they wouldn't be left as orphans. There's a lot there. But he promised them to wait. If you look at the waiting concept in the Bible, in fact, in Psalm 37, from memory serves me right, it's there three times in those famous words, wait patiently are there. You'll find it riddled in the Old Testament. They had to wait. You and I live in an in a, a age where, in fact, the words of Fred, Freddie Mercury, if you don't know who that was, because he's now uh, not here on this planet anymore, that Freddie Mercury had a song and he said, I want it all, I want it now. We live in a society that has that I want it now. We get quicker mortgages, we got phones that kick, we get, even get our pizzas because we can't go down to, to the shop but delivered to us. Everything has got to be now, 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 now. But the thing with waiting is, what do you do? You stop and think, you reflect, get under the skin of the disciples there. What were they thinking as they were in that room? Probably they were in, a, I worked out a minimum of seven days. Don't you think they wondered, I wonder what's going to happen? Jesus said, wait for the Spirit. How's the Holy Spirit going to turn up? What's it going to look like? What's he going to look like? Oh, what's she going to look like? What will be the result? My life's been different since I met this guy called Jesus. Here I am sitting in a room. What's this about? And you can even think of what went through their brain while they're in that room waiting. I don't know about you, if you wait, you, my brain doesn't stand still. You think all sorts of things. But they had to wait. Bear Grylls has brought a book out. Uh, on daily reading book called Soul Food. If you don't know who Bear Grylls is, don't worry. But this is what he put in one of his readings. We can go roughly three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen. How long can we live effectively without refueling our faith? Do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 8, sorry, 5, 18 to 21. But for that to happen, we need to wait. We need to be in God's presence with a purpose, expecting him to meet us, whether it's personally or as a group together. I remember um, when I was at Moreland's Bible College, it was in Devon then, one of the best talks that helped me as a young Christian, I think I was 23 at the time, and we had a Mr. White from Liverpool City Mission come, and he talked about the Holy Spirit, we were challenged, and uh, he said, just go and get by yourself and talk to God about it. He didn't make any, didn't have any altar call, nothing like that. And I remember going out on the cliffs of Dawlish and just waiting, talking to God. I, I didn't speak in tongues. Um, I, nothing sensational happened. 
I just felt overwhelmed with a phenomenal sense of peace. And for me, that's how I've felt refreshed. God has often met me that way. I've only shared that. I haven't shared other experiences because when people share experiences, people think, well, I haven't had that happen to me, so there must be something wrong. I'll finish with this illustration. Alan Titchmarsh was <coughs> uh, in the Queen's Garden and he saw two trees, two oaks. One was taller than the other. And he was told that one was, was Prince Charles's and one was Anne's. They were both planted at the same time. But Anne's was actually larger. And Anne's was larger because Charles's was facing the north. So as hers grew, hers took all the light, all the sun, and actually Charles's lived in the shade. So hers got more light, so it grew bigger. As I read that and heard him say it, I thought, what an illustration. <coughs> if I want to grow as a Christian, I have to be in the light more and more, not in the shade. I have to be waiting, alone often sometimes, or with others, no harm in that, waiting in the light of God's presence. And I find if I do that, I go away feeling more filled of the Holy Spirit. Father, in a moment we're going to break bread and we're going to drink wine. And we're going to remind ourselves that Jesus came to save us. And Lord, we often trot out the cliche that we were saved to serve. But yes, we were saved to serve you, to glorify you, and to live for you in this world so that others might be attracted to Jesus and to you. We just pray, Heavenly Father, that now as we take this bread and wine that you might meet with us in a fresh way. Help us, Lord God, in this church to be the individuals you want us to be, but help us as a church to be the group of your people. Lord, we know it was the early church and our special days, but when your Holy Spirit came, people were added to the church daily, and we would long that this would happen here. We ask it. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus.